All right, so this is question number one in our Frequently Asked Questions uh, series. Here it is. Uh, The individual wrote, so I notice that I have trust issues with God. That's loaded right there. And that I believe is true if we're honest with ourselves for most of us in this room. That there are times, there are seasons, and sometimes prolonged seasons when we have trust issues with God. When life seems good, I'm on cloud nine with God and Jesus. Come on. But as soon as the simplest inconvenience occurs or a trial comes along, it's as if I forget about his goodness, the teachings, and the scriptures. Is this a case of double-mindedness? If so, how do I break it and have a trusting and loving relationship with God no matter what the circumstance is? How many would say that that is a pretty loaded baked potato? Come on, somebody. That one's got the sour cream chives. It's got a little bit of brisket. If you like barbecue on your potato. Am I just hungry this morning? Why I keep talking about food, man? It's loaded. And so I think the best way to approach this question is to dissect it, okay, and, and examine the question line upon line, and, uh, and hopefully we'll find an answer there. I like questions that start or conversations that begin with the word, so. It usually gets your attention, right? Uh, So it starts with this statement, so I notice that I have trust issues with God. The reason I like that opening line is because it leads with self-diagnosis. I have this issue, and I realize that I have this issue. Abraham Maslow, the father of modern psychology, said it this way, uh, 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 what is necessary to change a man is to change his awareness of himself. Nothing about my life changes until my awareness, my self-awareness changes. Most times in life, it requires someone else pointing out the things in our lives that need to change because we all have blind spots. Are y'all with me? But this statement leads off with the realization from a place of introspection that says, you know what? I've got this issue. And my issue is trusting God. So let's talk about that a little bit. Trust. I'm going to do my best to recall my notes because my notes are sitting on my home office computer but I'll do my best to recall my notes. Let me just start by saying this as it relates to trust. It is difficult, almost impossible, to trust what you don't know. And so most times when we struggle with trust, it is usually the direct result of a lack of interaction or a lack of intimacy or a lack of relationship. Be difficult for me to entrust my eight-year-old son and my 14-year-old daughter to a stranger. It's much easier for them to say, hey, can you come watch my child if it's someone I know and I have history with. Are y'all with me? 
So the first thing in terms of trust issues with God that we have to talk about is the knowledge question. What do I know about God? And what have I resolved as it relates to my knowledge of God? Because the trust issue has to do first and foremost with what I know about God. And so to this person who sent in this message and for those who are listening who may struggle with trust issues with God, it begins by understanding and knowing and resolving once and for all that you will trust what you know about God's character. And this is what God has revealed about himself. In Psalm 34, I believe it's verse 8, and again, I'm going off the dome. I don't have my notes in front of me, but this is what the scripture says. It gives us this invitation, actually, and it says, Oh, taste and see. What? That the Lord is good. If I ever struggle with trust issues, it has to begin with what I know about the character of God. And this is what God has revealed about his character. He is good. And so whenever I'm tempted to think that because of my situation, the circumstances, God has abandoned me, I can go back to this promise from God's word that he is good. And we have this invitation to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Uh, over there in, uh, in Second Chronicles, uh, as the Israelites are surrounded by their enemies, not one, but many adversaries, uh, they called the leaders of worship. And they put them out in front of the army. And notice the song that they sang. The song they sang was simply this. uh, uh, For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. So if I'm going to overcome my trust issues, it begins with recognizing the character of God. That he is only good. So we need to settle that once and for all. God does not change with our circumstances. If God was good when things were good, God is still good even when things are hard. Are y'all with me? My trust must be settled not only in the character of God, but also the consistency of God. That God does not change. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 says, For I am the Lord and I change not. So if God was good here, he's still good here, and he's still good here. God is good going into the trial. God is good while I'm in the trial. And God is good even after I come out of the trial because God is constant and he is consistent. He doesn't change with our situations and our circumstances. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, all right, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. This is what the scripture says. God is good, number one, and he doesn't change. Malachi 3, 6. That that promise is affirmed again in Hebrews 13, 8, where the scripture says, Jesus Christ, what? The same. When? Yesterday, today, and forever. So if I'm wrestling with trust issues, what I have to go back to is, what do I know about God? And what have I settled in my heart about God? And the first place to start, a good place to start, is that God is only good. Are y'all with me? He is only good. 
The challenge, though, uh, City Church, is this. I think subconsciously we've been taught to believe uh, by culture or even conditioning that when bad things happen, sometimes somehow God is the author of it. That's what we do with, with disasters. It's an act of God. So when something bad happens, we blame God. Uh, when the truth is that if evil comes into our life, there is only one culprit and only one source. And that's the devil who is always bad. So if I'm going to overcome my trust issue, it begins with intimacy with God and understanding the character and the nature of God, that he is good and that he never changes. My circumstances may change, my situation may change, but the one thing that remains constant is that God is good and he never changes. Why don't you jump in? I think one of the things that we also have to uh, tear down is the illusion that we've been sold both by the church and by the world that if I am saved or if I am a Christ follower, if I'm a believer, that life is going to be perfect. It's going to be good. It's going to be easy. It's going to be great. I think that um, when you first get saved, people are so excited. Uh, I think in recent years, we haven't really heard about it. But in our generation, uh, as we were coming up in, in the church, uh, it was almost like an illusion that if you belong to God, everything is going to be okay. Then there are pressure from the world, people who aren't saved. They're like, well, if you really belong to God, then why is this happening? We've got to tear that is an illusion because the scripture says uh, in Psalm 34, 19, which is the reality, is that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us out of them all. And so there's never a time when God said that our uh, salvation or trusting in him made us exempt from trouble. It says many are the afflictions. And so in dealing with trust issues, just understand that that it shouldn't be anything that we can uh, be afraid of. But we are going to live in this world. A part of us living in the world is to be a light. How can people know the goodness of God if they don't go to church? The biggest Church is going to be your life and your testimony. And when they see how you trust God and how you navigate, how life is not perfect for you, that is the greatest testimony in recent times. People of the world will look at your life and see that you're going through something, and then it may cause them to say, okay, well, they go to church, they're a righteous person, and they're still going through this? Well, maybe there's hope for me. And so that's one of the things I think if we tear down the illusion that because I belong to God, that everything is going to be okay. And then start building yourself up in getting a relationship with God. And that can look like so many things. As Ray and I were preparing, we got to this point about how do we establish a relationship? When we're talking about establishing a relationship, please don't hear us saying that you've got to have this perfect cookie cutter formula. If you do this and God's going to do this, it is not by works. But how do you establish I 
have always been a big talker. I mean, as a child, I would just wear my mom out. I would be in trouble at school. I've just always talked. When I gave my heart to the Lord, the first thing that was most easiest for me to grasp a hold to was prayer. It wasn't listening. It was talking to God. It wasn't worship. It wasn't reading the scripture. It was talking to God. I started where I was. And it was now I've changed and I've evolved and I've gotten a lot quieter over the years. And I've seen the value over the years. I've grown into being a person that studies the word. So that's how I connect with God. Now I've matured to a point where it's not about me always talking. It's about me listening. And so when we say connect with God, what will work best for you? Do you love music? You may connect with God just by saying, okay, I'm going to download some worship songs or I'm going to buy some worship CDs or whatever the latest thing is. Your initial connect may come in the form of worship where mine came in in the form of prayer. Uh, another way to connect with God, you may connect by connecting with other people. I know the men, women, we're, we're, we're working on something. We haven't had a Bible study yet. We had taken the semester off for the home, the small groups. Um, so we haven't forgotten you, but I know every Saturday morning, the men meet for Bible study. So there may be a man who's new to the Lord or may not feel comfortable with just worship. He may not know where to look for a worship song and he may not be confident to really just pray, you know, for an hour or so, but his way to connect with God is to connect with other men learning about God, whichever is your connect point From that point, the other connections can grow. So if you start out praying, then your prayers may turn into, okay, let me see what the word has to say about this. And you, or you may hear a song. If you start out connecting with other people through a Bible study, a conference, or something like that, you may hear a song or a scripture there that'll lead you to another form of connection. So those are my encouragements. I've got some more, but just number one, we've got to undo, get rid of that illusion that just because we belong to Christ, that everything is going to be perfect. We accept the responsibility and the awareness that life is going to serve us in very improper ways. It is not going to be fair, but that's not when we shake our fist at God. That is for us to see the goodness of God, to give it over to God. I think our culture has also Um, and church has made us seem like God is a genie, that if we just rub his belly and if we're just good, then he's just supposed to pop out blessing in our request like a vending machine. Above all the things God is, he's a loving father. Yes, he is. And most loving fathers just don't give, give, give without any regard. Those fathers that do, we see that there's a consequence to that. The biggest uh, example would be King David. David did not chastise his sons, and they got into foolishness and mayhem. We've got uh, the priest Eli. Eli did not chastise his sons, and God sent judgment on Eli, and Eli died. His sons died in the same day. Those sons were running Rashad. They were stealing the temple fees, raping people. Just, I mean, this is the priest's son. His, his two boys were just acting, just running amok. And God told him through Samuel, you need to check them boys. And I don't know why Eli would not chastise his sons, but he didn't. 
And they died in battle on the same day. And when Eli heard the news, they said Eli was a big, hefty man, said he fell backwards and broke his neck and died too from a broken heart. So when we, a loving father just doesn't give and give and give. We see the consequences of that. That doesn't mean that David or Eli didn't love their boys. We're imperfect people. But we just have to grow in our knowledge that and settle that God is good and that my life circumstance does not depend on his goodness or even my goodness. As believers, we got to settle. This place is not our home. We're just passing through. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And like, this is a loaded question. So we could go down the road. I'll give you a chance. But the big, the greatest thing I'll say is just to undo that illusion that the illusion that, oh, I, I trust God, I'm a believer, I'm saved, so my life is going to be perfect, and if it's not, then I'm wrong, I'm bad, or God is not good to me. Absolutely. And, uh, and so we understand that even though God is good, we live in a broken, corrupt world, and we do have an adversary. And, 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 and uh, I think the Lord helps us with that, though. In the, in the midst of those difficult circumstances. And I think there's a great passage in Mark chapter 4 that will help us understand that. In Mark chapter 4, uh, this is the parable of the sower. This is the parable of the sower. What's going on internally when I'm grappling with, when I'm wrestling with trust issues with God, all right? Uh, and again, maybe you've heard the word and you understand that God is good and God is good all the time and God is constant. But we all grapple with uh, this crisis of faith. You're not alone, and we'll see that here shortly. But what's happening internally when we face those moments and we face those challenges where our, our, our trust in God is, is not where it should be? Uh, Jesus, in Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, helps us understand a little bit about what's happening. Uh, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 13, and the scripture will be on the screen, it says, and these are the words of Jesus, the words in red. It says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So Jesus was saying that this parable in Mark chapter 4 is ground zero for understanding how the kingdom works. He says this is ground zero. If you can get a grasp of this parable, you will understand all the other parables, which were metaphors for the kingdom and how the kingdom operates. So in verse 14, he says, the sower sows the word. The word of God is our primary source of understanding the character of God. If I ever want to discover the character of God, the nature of God, the attributes of God, I go to the word. So Jesus is saying, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And, those, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. Now what Jesus is about to talk about is he's doing open heart surgery and he's about to expose four heart conditions that impact our trust issues with God. He's about to expose these four conditions of the heart that determine how we respond to God in everyday life. So number one, he says, there are those who are by the wayside where the word is sown. It says, when they hear the word, Satan comes when? Immediately. Immediately. And takes a word that was sown where? In their hearts. Immediately. So there are times you'll, you'll see people who are exposed to the word and the word comes, they hear the word, and immediately they got nothing, man. It's like there's no growth, nothing changes, because that kind of soil 
is like throwing a seed by the wayside. And the scripture says Satan comes immediately. As soon as you hear what we're talking about, walk out the room, gone. The problem isn't the seed of God's word because the seed of God's word is incorruptible. It's the condition of the heart that determines whether the seed bears fruit or not. So if I'm having trust issues, the problem's not the word of God. I have to look inward and say, what is the condition of my heart that is producing these results that after I've heard the word, I've, not, I've got nothing to draw on. That doesn't mean you're a bad, irreparable person. You didn't say that, but I just, for somebody who thinks, oh my goodness, is there hope for me? It doesn't mean that you are filled with the devil if it leaves. The, the, The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing. How we, hearing the word of God, how we change the condition of our heart is continue listening to the word. You've got to break up that ground. If I have a seed today and I plant it, no matter where I plant a seed or how fertile the ground is, it is not going to produce a harvest tomorrow. It is not going to produce a harvest immediately. The law of Genesis is seed, time, then harvest. Seed, the word of God in my heart, time. It's got to germinate. I've got to get those rocks out of there. I've got to change my way of thinking. I've got to do some other things. I've got to stay in the word, give it some time, and then a harvest will come. So be encouraged. If you leave or if you leave church on Sunday mornings, you're like, it was good. I was engaged, and I don't have anything. Don't hear us saying that you're a bad person. You've got a bad heart. We're giving you the word straight, but we want you to be encouraged that it is not, no matter if you retain the word and it's in your heart, you're still not going to get a harvest tomorrow. It is going to be time, and, and every word that we get of God's is inexhaustible. You may have one thing today, but God has so many other things you can get out of that one thing. So no matter where you are in the process, we are all in the process. Very good. Very good. He identifies a second uh, 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 soil condition, right? Those by the wayside, but he identifies a second soil condition in verse 16. It says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. So there's wayside ground, but then there's also stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. What was Jesus doing? He was revealing another heart condition. And what we can do is even examine our own lives, okay? Because we hear the word, we're excited about the word. Ah, man, then life gets hard. And the scripture says that second soul condition means that the individual has no root in themselves. So they endure only for a season. Jesus is helping us uh, understand why we struggle with trust issues from time to time. Uh, Number three, he says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. Check it out. They hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That's the third heart condition that sometimes we begin to struggle with trusting God 
because of the deceitfulness of riches, because of the cares of this world that become bigger than our remembrance or what we remember about God's character. And then the fourth kind of soil is, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And so what, what, what's, what's, what's uh, Jesus talking about in this passage? Jesus, I believe, is saying that the condition of our heart will often determine how we respond in life's most difficult circumstances. If you've ever had a trust issue with God, like the, the individual who, who wrote in, can I say this? You're not alone. No matter where you are on the continuum, we all, at one time or another, have struggled in our faith walk. And not just you and me, but even the people we read about in the Bible have had a crisis of faith. Can I give you one? Uh, so many come to mind, but let me just give you one. Anybody remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist is the number one preacher of his day. He's baptizing multitudes in the Jordan. He is the foremost, the most profound and prolific evangelist of his day. He's preaching repentance. And God is confirming what he's preaching with miracles, with signs, with wonders, and people are being baptized. Until one day, this nondescript carpenter's son shows up. And looking across the River Jordan... John the Baptist sees his cousin, this carpenter that nobody knew about, named Jesus. But in that moment, John has this divine revelation. God opens his eyes and shows him, this young man, your cousin, is the long-awaited Messiah. God gives, gives him this revelation that says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And from that day forward, John the Baptist faded to black, and Jesus, Jesus came center stage. So, Pastor Ray, what does that have to do with trust issues? Later on in John the Baptist's life, he's thrown in prison, and his life is threatened. In fact, Herod says, I'm going to chop off your head, John. And before he is decapitated, John the Baptist sent word, sends word to Jesus. You know what he asked Jesus? He said, are you the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? I'm talking about what circumstances can do to our faith. I'm talking about what circumstances and situations can do to our trust in God. I'm talking about a guy who saw a dove descend from heaven. I'm talking about a guy who heard the voice of God from heaven say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when he is faced with the threat of death, he said, hold up now. I know I heard all this stuff. I know I saw all this stuff. God, I know what you've done through me, but Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Oh, let me give you one more. I'm talking now about those of us sometimes who feel the temptation to be faith giants. 
and, and, and pretend that our feathers are never ruffled. I have yet to see Jesus heal a man who pretended they weren't sick. Y'all miss that. Y'all miss what I'm saying. We qualify for God's healing touch. We qualify for God's intervention when we admit how desperately we need him. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. And that's part of our problem as the church. We pretend that we got it all together. Jesus said it is only the sick that need a physician. So I'm talking about those of us like this person who admits I have trust issues with God. Let me tell you what trust issues often emanate. Number one, a lack of intimacy or knowing the character of God. Let me tell you the second place. Let me tell you the second place. Disappointment with God. God, you didn't show up the way I thought you would and you didn't show up when I thought you would. So why should I trust you now? We all got trust issues with God. In fact, this morning when I was praying, the Lord reminded me of a young lady who was on our worship team years ago. Uh, and it's amazing how God has used City Church to restore people back to the house of God. But she had been out of church for over 10 years. But she had an amazing voice and wanted to sing. And when I finally sat down with her and heard her backstory, I'm talking about trust issues with God. She said, I stopped going to church because we prayed for Big Mama. We did everything the word said to do. We believed until the last minute that God would heal Big Mama. But he didn't. Why should I trust God again when he didn't show up the last time. Hold on one second. Give me one quick second. Young lady stayed. Check this out now. Check this out. Says she wanted to sing on our worship team. So she comes to the worship team audition, but she's living with her boyfriend. Come on, somebody. We all in white today. This is Missionary Sunday. <laughs> How are we going to navigate this now? Been out of church for over 10 years. Disappointed at God. Want to sing on the worship team, but we must have standards. Lord, what are we going to do? Come on, let me mess up your theology. Let me mess up your theology the Lord said, let the girl sing. Come on, I done messed up all. The religious spirits just went out the window. Pharisees and Sadducees are like, what? Yeah. Yes, I prayed. And the Lord said, let the girl sing. And so she starts singing. And she is exposed to the word of God. Never preach one message about shacking up. Never preach one message about living right, but being exposed to the word of her own volition. She decided that her boyfriend would sleep in the guest room and she would sleep in the master bedroom and they were going to accelerate the marriage process. Why? 
because God was restoring her to right relationship. Now, let me, let me tell you about how, what could have happened if I were to be a Pharisee. I'm sorry. We got standards. You living with your boyfriend, you shacking up. You can't sing. Let me tell you something. Her, her trust in God was restored when she experienced the love of God. Our responsibility as the church is to catch them, fishers of men. He cleans them. I want you to hear what I'm saying now. Because salvation doesn't happen at my pace, it happens at God's pace. And so, so, so she starts singing. And God starts to do this work in her heart. I wish I could say it had a really happy ending. Because it didn't. But in the moment that she was with us, her trust issues with God were restored. I mean, her trust issues with God were mended. And even though she doesn't go to City Church here, she doesn't go to church here at City Church, since her time at City Church, she has been back in church. Now she is married and they have moved on. Are y'all with me? Trust issues restored. Many times we are disappointed at God because God didn't show up the way we expected him to, when we expected him to, and that hurts our trust. And the same thing is true for John the Baptist. Let me tell you what Jesus' response was to John the Baptist. Jesus sent word back to John the Baptist and told him what the scripture says in Luke chapter 14. He says, go back and tell John. Blind eyes are open. Uh, 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 The sick are healed. Jesus quotes Luke chapter 14 and he tells John everything in Luke chapter 14 except one thing about prison doors being opened or the captive set free. What Jesus was telling John the Baptist was simply this. I am the Messiah, but you ain't coming out of this, John. Y'all hear what I'm saying? When you read Hebrews chapter 11, ah, I don't have time to go into this. I'll let you jump in because I got one more thing to say and then we'll wrap up. Go ahead, go ahead, chime in. Okay, I thought you wanted to jump in before. I did, but I thought you were going to something else. You want me to jump in? Well, baby, do you probably should jump in now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Woo! Because when I get all that last piece, it's going to be. Yes. I'm yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, it, there is a standard. That we do have a standard. Uh, it is taken case by case situation and in this situation. But again, uh, if we are to be the church, we are to restore people to him. And so we just don't say, okay, we just allow all kind of mayhem and foolishness because we are responsible for bringing in the spirit of God. But I just wanted to put that little caveat on that there is a standard, but uh, we still do have a standard. But if, if we're to love God and love people, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus have done in that case? Because if, if she couldn't just sing in the house of God, then I certainly, the things I've done in my past, I don't even deserve to be married to Ray. I don't even deserve to be in church. You know, if we just judge it by whether it's by our works. But it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. 
So we do have a standard, but if we are doing what city church is called to do, love God, love people, serve our city, then in some cases there'll be some uh, decisions made that people don't uh, agree with. They're not going to agree with. They'll think they just let every kind of thing just happen. We had people to leave the church because this young lady was allowed to sing because they just thought, oh my goodness, we can't believe what you're doing. You all just do whatever. But we have to answer to God for shepherding and loving his people. And if we can't, I'm a mother. I'm a mother. And if my kids had been hurt and disappointed by God and my, I want them to connect with God and was standing between one of my children's salvation is a couple of songs for a couple of minutes, then, yeah, we have to reframe things. Max Licato's got a book coming out on the 7th, and it's called Unshakable Hope. In this book, uh, he he starts talking about um, setting up a video to do the book. You know, he writes the books and does the Bible studies and everything. So he said he had rented out time at the Alamo. And so he's got his camera crew there. There's this bench he's sitting on. And so people start gathering around. They don't know what this is and what's going on. And he said the crowd is standing around. They don't have any signs. He's just taping for uh, this series for this new book called Unshakable Hope. He's also got a 10-day Bible study on a uh, 10-day devotional on version. So anyway, so the crowd starts gathering around. They're doing their takes. So between one of the takes, this lady yells out and says, hey, are you somebody important? <laughs> and I think that's what we kind of yell out to God. Mm. Hey, God, am I important enough for you to do something about my situation? Good. And we wonder, do you see me down here? Come on, God, are are you for real? And so in that cry, hey, God, am I important? Are you big enough? Will you do it for me? The answer is always, always yes. We don't fight against God. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we do have an enemy. There is a very real war going on for us to settle on this. God is not good and I am not worthy. That's what the enemy wants to come. That's what the enemy wants the end result to be. God is not good and I am not worthy. And if he can get us stuck there, because God is big enough for us to have questions and to wonder. But if the enemy can get us stuck right there, then he can rob us of the goodness God is. He can rob us of the peace. He can rob us of hope. He can rob us of assurance that where I am today, I don't have to stay here. And in John the Baptist's case, it, he, it was, you know, you're not going to make it out of this. Miss uh, Pat and I have a, a girlfriend, her anniversary, her death anniversary is coming up, and we did it. We laid hands. We hopped on one foot. We slung oil and water. We prayed. We fasted. We did everything that we knew to do. And we are just the girlfriends, so not including the family and the church of our girlfriend, Karen, And she went home to be with the Lord. And I'm telling you, I struggled. This has been, is it been five years? It might be five years today, tomorrow. Five years. And we had been friends with her 10 years. We had gone to church. We called her the weeping prophet. I mean, she was full of life. They started an orphanage. She had four kids, adopted three. Her husband's a doctor. I mean, all of this is going on. And we are just watching just disease take over. 
And the last time we saw Karen, I mean, it just was, uh, we rushed over, we got all dressed up, and I mean, I'm crying. I'm like the baby. I'm just crying. And we sang with her, and we sat with her. And the Lord had told me before that it's going to be okay. But what I didn't realize, and this was the, the big mama part, is I didn't realize what Karen had told the Lord. Though we were praying and fasting, Karen told the Lord, I've done well, I'm, I'm ready. And that is a part that we couldn't override. So sometimes in our disappointment with things like that, uh, sometimes it's not God didn't come to the rescue. Sometimes it is a situation where we are unable to override the person's desire. My grandmother, I'm telling you, Mary Rosa, I just, I just felt like she had her suitcases and everything just waiting on the porch for Jesus to come get her. And I'm just like, I rebuke it. You're going to be here. And I just can't. And for six years, she, she, she held on. She got to be 93. And she just she prayed over us. The last time we saw her in the hospital, she laid hands on us. She said, I have had a good life, Pooh. The Lord has been good. I'm ready to see Levi now. I'm ready to go on home. And I'm telling you, I fought and kicked. My faith and my prayers and my love for my grandmother couldn't override her desire to recognize my body is old and I am ready. And so as we, I can't say that for every case, but I just want to encourage you that if there has been a situation where there's been a death or something, in some cases that's not the case, but in the case with Karen and even with my grandmother, is my love for them and my faith couldn't override what they settled with the Lord. Amen. Very good. So this is where we're going to close. Man, the questions are coming in. These are questions we're going to open next week. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me whet your appetite a little bit. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Oh, this is going to be, woo, the tea. Woo, the tea. Y'all ready for this? First one at the top of the list. Why do you think men are physically present in their marriage but absent as spiritual leaders? Glory to God. Here's, here's one. <laughs> here's one. Uh, my girlfriend said if I don't go to church every Sunday, God's going to leave me behind. Is that true? Oh, man. Exactly what is holiness and what do I have to do to be holy? Um, oh, man, some good questions in here that we're going to answer uh, over, the next, over the next several weeks. But let's put that question back on, on the board, and I'll close, I'll, I'll close out uh, quickly, okay? So I notice that I have trust issues with God. Number one, uh, those issues of trust go back to what I know about God. Is God good? And is God constant and consistent? The answer is true. Uh, He is a good God. He is only good and he never changes. She went on to say, when life seems good, I'm on cloud nine with God and Jesus. But as soon as the simplest inconvenience occurs or a trial comes along, it's as if I forget about his goodness. Perfect phrase. I forget about his goodness, the teachings and the scriptures. Adversities come to distract us. Let me put it this way. There's a guy named Peter. He's in the boat with Jesus. And they see this apparition, if you would, from a distance. This thing keeps getting closer, and all of his, all of his companions on the boat thought it was a ghost. Right? Peter recognizes that it is Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. 
If what I see out there is really you, then you invite me to come. What I love about that story, what I love about that story was it wasn't Jesus inviting Peter. It was Peter saying, if it's you, I'm going to get out this boat and you will sustain me even on the water. Wasn't Jesus' idea. It was Peter who said, my faith is so strong that Jesus, if it's you, I can get out this boat and walk on water just like you. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water. Anybody remember what happened next? The winds and the storms arose. What was Peter's response? Took his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on the storm. When he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? Started to sink. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was doing the impossible. He was walking on water. Now, most of us give Peter a bad name because he took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat dweller. We don't give Peter enough credit that he got out the boat. He got out the boat. And if you are having trust issues, be easy on yourself. You got out the boat. So what if you took your eyes off of him momentarily and you started to drown? Where was Jesus? Peter was close enough that Jesus could reach out to him and pull him out. So when it feels like your faith has failed, Jesus is right there. Didn't rebuke Peter. Didn't criticize Peter. Pulled him out and brought him back to the boat. So if you ever feel like the simplest inconveniences have caused you to take your eyes off Jesus and on the storm and it feels like you're sinking, just know that Jesus is right there. Let me tell you something else about the character of God. Let me tell you what he promised. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Two different words that are used there. When he says I'll never leave you, it means I will never be distant from you physically. Wherever you are, I'm there. The second word he uses in the Greek is the word forsake, which speaks of emotional abandonment. And if we're honest with ourselves, it is possible to be physically present, but emotionally distant. Jesus said, I won't do either of them. I'm going to be there with you when you're sinking, and I will never distance my heart from you and my love for you just because you started to sink. Is this a case of double-mindedness? Yeah. But not in a negative sense. Only thing I'll say about that is simply this. Whatever you keep your mind on, you magnify. And whatever you magnify wins. I'll say that again. Whatever you keep your mind on, you stay in contact with. And whatever you magnify becomes bigger in your life. And whatever becomes bigger in your life wins. So which dog going which you put two dogs together, you got this, you know, big dog and a little dog. It said which dog going to win? Well, it, the dog that's going to win is the dog you feed. Am I double-minded? 
Yeah, we all are double-minded, man. We all go back and forth between strong faith and looking at the storm. But even then, what we do is we return to the character of God. I have to renew my mind. And I wish I had time to go into James chapter 5 where it talks specifically about double-mindedness. Here's the danger of double-mindedness. It says, let that not that man think he will receive anything from God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if I, if I vacillate between faith and doubt, faith and fear, the scripture says the double-minded man is unstable. He wavers too much to receive anything from God. So the last thing is, if so, how do I break it? And have a trusting and loving relationship with God no matter what the circumstance is. Again, it just goes back to that one thing. Remind yourself again of the character of God. Put uh, Psalm 34. I'm calling it audible. Psalm 34. I said 34. 34. And this is where I close, I promise. Last thing I'm going to say. Psalm 34. And then there's a family here that I need to pray for. I have to be obedient to the Lord. And then we're going to go. I have to do this. Uh, 34.1. Let's go to 34.1. I have to say this. Or maybe it's 37. 37.3. Sorry. 37.3. How, how, how do I fix this? How do I break this cycle of double-mindedness? This is how I do it. This is how I do it. Number one, trust in the Lord and do good. Hmm? Trust in the Lord and do good. That means, God, I'm going to trust you even when I can't trace you. Even when I don't know what you're up to or what you're doing, even when it seems like you're playing hide and seek with me, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take you at your word. And here's the next thing, I'm going to do good while I'm waiting. That's what most of us do. We stop doing good while we're waiting. We become so frustrated with the process. We become so disappointed that we stop doing good. But one of the greatest ways to stay in faith while you're waiting on God is to do good. Help somebody, serve somebody, love on somebody, be God's answer to somebody else's struggle. It says trust in the Lord and do good. Number two, it says dwell, on, dwell in the land. And notice what it says. It says feed on his faithfulness. How do I restore my trust in God? Just begin to look back over your life and begin to feed on every single time he showed up for you, every single time he met the need. Not, not, don't, don't become so fixated on the fact that you're waiting, but begin to remind yourself of all that he has already done. Begin to make his faithfulness your food. And notice what the scripture says. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. How do I break the cycle of trust? All the stuff I just said to you is how we learn to trust God again. And if you find yourself in a crisis of faith, you're not alone. There are faith giants and faith babies who have struggled with this crisis of faith. But know that God is right there like he was for Peter to pull him up and to pull him out and continue his purpose and his plan in and through Peter. So this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. As we close, the worship team, why don't you guys come back because we are going to close.